I have a number of hats today because they've asked me to be Wayne. <laughs> and I said, I told Dolores, make sure to put my name in here because I'll forget what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Um, welcome. Okay. So welcome, everyone. We're so glad to see everyone this morning. And um, there are, we want to make sure that everybody knows that the Christian Fellowship Group uh, is on the third uh, Saturday of the month. And so is, is, that, the, is that coming up, Christian? Well, I, I think that Thursday we're going to... Oh, that's right. We're going to... That's right. Thursday is our Christian fellowship. It says there's, so we're, and on Thursday at uh, Prayer and Potluck, we're going to um, transform the church back out of Christmas and moving towards springtime. Probably, so, I'm guessing, maybe be there at 5.30. Thank you. Like yeah. And then um, women's Bible study is, is um, Tuesday and uh, we love that. And our Bible study here this morning uh, begins at 8.15. And so men's Bible study is going to be off this week because Robert has some other obligations that, um, so you're, you're putting that off for one week, right? Okay, thank you, darling. Well, praise the Lord. Let me, I think what I'm going to do is go ahead and read Billy Graham and then I'll pray to open us, okay? This is very interesting. So those of you who missed Bible study this morning, Robert talked about, and, and it was like opening my eyes, but Robert talked about God keeping his eye on us and that we're to keep our eye on him so we can follow him to see where is he looking? Like if I looked out the window looking at a bird, everybody would kind of eventually try to figure out what I'm looking at. And that's, that's uh, what we have this morning following here. Enjoying God's presence. Have you ever watched a young couple communicate their love for each other without even saying a word? Now, I'm going to say that I have watched some young at heart couples like, like Cheryl and Bill looking at each other. And you know how much they love each other and... and uh, you guys and you guys and you guys. I mean, every one of the couples in this room do this. A young couple communicate their love with each other. They don't say a word. Maybe you have experienced it yourself. Of course you have. Every glance, every touch, every smile conveys love. People deeply in love find absolute bliss being in each other's presence. In the same way, simply being in the presence of God brings us joy. It happens as we listen to him, we speak his word. It happens when we pray, and, but it also happens as we simply enjoy his presence. Meditating on his goodness, delighting in the beauty of his creation, rejoicing in the life of a new baby, or the surprise of an unexpected blessing. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Someday we will be in the, his presence forever. The Bible says God himself will be with them in Revelation 21.3. What joy that will be. But in the meantime, delight in his presence right 
now, for he is with you every hour and every day. And so I would say in our Sunday school teacher's uh, words, in Robert's words, watch his eye. His eye is on you. And then miraculously, Rick, God has given Rick a song that is exactly that today. We'll enjoy it later. No, this is the Lord. From Sunday school to here to the music, God has his hand. If you feel like you're a little band, we are. We're a family. But honestly, he's got our hand, his hand on us. And so, Lord, we give you this morning, each one of us, as we walk this next lap today, we're on our path that you've set us on, and each day we take the lap that you've given us. And today we say, keep our eyes on you, Lord, that your eye is on us. And we praise and thank you. We give you this service. We ask your blessing on each one here and on our precious and wonderful pastor, Frank, in Jesus' name.
study this morning, we spent some time on Psalm 11. And in the course of the discussion of it, we uh, talked a little about what might be key, what might be the, the verse that's central to the message that's in that. So as I read and you look at uh, Psalm 37, see if you can find a key phrase or a key word. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath, do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And the key, do not fret. If you would like to stand with me, we can read the 23rd Psalm together. Or if you don't feel like standing, you can stay in your seats. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Oh! 
Testament now, and we're going to go to Matthew 16, if you would, please. We're going to read the first uh, 12 verses. So this is the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came to Jesus, and they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Oh, how we do that. And he replied, when the evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And Jesus then left them and he went away. Oh, how we look for signs from heaven. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. <laughs> Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you taking among yourselves, uh, why are you talking among yourselves about bread? Do you not still understand? Don't you remember the five loaves and the, five the fed 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that they understand, then they understood that he was not telling them to be on their guard against yeast used in bread, but against teachings from Pharisees and Sadducees. The oh, the offering. Do I need to say for the prayer for the offering? Do I? Why don't you just pray for that and pray for me? And oh, good, I'll do that. I love to pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do praise and, and thank you that you supply in, in every way to each and every person here, and you supply into this church um, out of your hand great blessings and that you care for us both financially and every other way. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the offering today. And then we thank you for the offering of, of Frank's preparation and his love for our body and what he has to bring to for us and our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 4, 1 through 5, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. 
She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his, his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soils an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor, so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Kind of interesting that Abel means breath or temporary or vapor or mist. Um, and, of course, he didn't hang around too long. Uh, that's the, the whole story of chapter 4. But the question that comes up in this um, is, why did God not look with favor on Cain's offering, whereas he did look with favor on Abel's offering? And, you know, some people have um, conjectured that, at, and we don't really know, I mean, uh, because the text doesn't say, but... Some people say that it's because Abel's sacrifice was a blood offering, you know, where an animal had to be killed, and that looked toward the, the, um, the Old Testament sacrificial system. And, and Cain's was not. His was from plants instead of an offering of uh, blood. But I, I don't like that explanation very well. Um, and I think it's <clears throat> more that God knew Cain's heart and knew, looked at Cain's heart, and knew that Cain had iniquity in his heart, and that's the reason that he, uh, that he didn't accept it. And in fact, that God may have been using that as a test for Cain, uh, saying not receiving the offering, um, because he knew what, <clears throat> you know, what Cain's was like, and Cain's heart was hardened. And in fact, as we'll see, he was actually a wicked person. Um, so then we see Cain's reaction. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay. So, First uh, John 3.12 gives a, a, a motives of Cain. Uh, it says, do not be, and this is John talking, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So, in these Verses then, we see Cain's real heart condition. And Cain became angry when God spoke to him, and God said, um, you know, there's something wrong in your heart. And rather than say, okay, Lord, you know, you know, um, Cain got angry with God uh, when God rejected his offering. And uh, he could easily have had a broken heart, been repentant, but he didn't. He chose the way of becoming angry, both with God and with Abel. And he was willful and unrepentant, and then he killed his brother. Um, instead, of, instead of being confronted and, and receiving it, he killed his brother. So, and then, after God spoke to him, he, he says, where is your brother Abel? 
And Cain says, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Like, come on, Lord, you know. Um, am I supposed to be watching out for this guy? Well, then God speaks to him. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse. Now before, remember, the ground had been cursed. Now um, Cain is actually cursed and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And so Cain's reaction is, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And so we see when Cain is confronted dead by God, um, he responds with self-pity. Instead of saying, okay, Lord, uh, you know, yeah, there's something wrong with me, he responds with self-pity. Well, why me, Lord? You know, what did I do? All he did was kill my brother. You know, hey, big deal. And, And so we see his sin. The impiety, the anger, the jealousy, deception, murder, falsehood, self-seeking, and finally, alienation from God and willing to be alienated from God. So Cain focuses on his punishment, not his heart condition. And to me, that's a real indication. Um, You know, (laughs) repentance is supposed to take us to our heart condition, not to our punishment. And you know, with your kids, sometimes, you know, they're not, they're, the first thing they do is, you know, hey, wait a minute, you know, I didn't really do that. It was, it was my brother who did it, you know, or it was my sister who did it, instead of really taking it to heart and saying, okay, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that, um, and so on. And Cain actually blames both Abel and God for what happened. And never looks at his heart condition. Never once do we see in the text that Cain looked at who he was and what his heart condition was like. And as I mentioned before, before the ground had been cursed, now Cain himself is cursed. And the the ground, and remember, Cain is a gardener. That's what he did. And so God curses the ground and says, the ground is not even going to, you know, before it yielded thorns and thistles, Now it's not going to yield anything. And so Cain, the gardener, is left to uh, wander the earth, not settling anywhere. He was was, uh, a nomad. But Cain was only concerned for his own skin, his own family life, and he demonstrates callous indifference toward the Lord. And then we see Cain's wife, Genesis 4, 16 and 17. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. There's a, I think the next uh, slide, um, there's a picture of, uh, you know, we don't really know, we don't know where Eden is, and so we, we, but we know that Nod was east of Eden. Um, A lot of people that we've said before, 
think that Eden was near the Persian Gulf, near the, near the mouth of the Tigris and the Euphrates, uh, where they flow together and then they flow into the, uh, <clears throat> into the Persian Gulf there, and that Eden was located there. If that's the case, then Nod is somewhere uh, east of that, um, in either modern-day Iran or modern-day Iraq. Um, and the, uh, verse 17, I better give you that. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. So the first thing is um, this word nod. And the Hebrew root of the word means to wander. Interesting, isn't it? That, that, uh, that, that even in the naming of it, there's a, there's a, um, uh, uh, a foretelling of what the punishment of Cain would be. So the noun can be translated vagabond or wanderer. Um, but the question that comes up from these verses is, in this one, this has been a hard one for me. I, you know, uh, in the past, where did Cain's wife come from? <laughs> you know, and this is one of the things that unbelievers are going to ask you. Well, yeah, but where did Cain's wife come from? There's only three people on the earth. Then where did Cain's, you know, where did Cain get his wife? There are not a lot of choices. <laughs> and uh, so there's really two answers to that. The first is that there were other people on earth before Adam and Eve. Okay, that's what some people will say. Now, I don't agree with that because that does violence to the text. But... But that's the way some, uh, some people say there was a pre-Adamic race. Um, but in Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So we see Scripture is clear that Adam was the first person. And then in Genesis 3-20, Adam named his wife Eve, and because she would become the, because she would become the mother of all the living. So Eve was the first mother, the first, you know, so from Adam and Eve then comes the whole human race. So uh, both, you know, logically and also from just the inerrancy of Scripture, we have to say, I, you know, I reject that. I don't like that explanation. The other theory, um, and, and again, the text doesn't say anywhere exactly where Cain's wife came from, so we have to read it, you know, we have to think about it, is that Adam and Eve had other children and Cain married his sister. Okay? The text only says that later that Eve gave birth to her second son, Abel. And it doesn't say how much time there was between the birth of Cain and the birth of Abel. Okay? So there could have been a girl child born between those um, and, and there could have been a girl born after that. Um, the limit puts the age of Cain and Abel uh, as 130 years, which is when Seth was born. And it says that Adam lived to be 930 years old. And so he and Eve could have had many children. And, you know, the kind of the what we think in our mind is that Cain and Abel were teenagers or young men, but that might not have been the case. 
Um, we don't know how many years separated them. And Jewish tradition states that Adam had 33 sons and 23 daughters. So, um, so many people could have existed at the time when Cain killed Abel. Some people have estimated that there were 32,000 people could have been alive at the time that, that uh, Cain killed Abel. So, um, and, and lots of generations. And, you know, um, one of the problems we have with that is Cain marrying his sister. But remember, the prohibition on that doesn't show up until uh, Leviticus and, and uh, later on. Um, in Genesis 20:12, Abraham married his sister, his half-sister, the, the daughter of his father, but not of his mother. So it's a stepsister, a half-sister. Um, and furthermore, because Adam and Eve were created perfect, their gene pool would not have been corrupted until later on. Um, and... You know, now we, we say, we, you know, and Scripture forbids incest or marrying a brother and sister. But this was early on, and so, you know, this could have been, uh, this could have been fine. Okay? So, uh, again, we don't really know why. Uh, we don't really know, you know, when this child was born or, or when, you know, when Cain found his, his wife. But she would have been related to him in some way. Okay, so then the next thing is about Lamech, verses 18 through 24. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mehujael, and Mehujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. You got that? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, we got that. We got that one memorized. That's a good verse to memorize. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah, Adeke gave birth to Jabel, who was the father of all who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So one interesting thing out of these verses is that we see the beginning then of, of um, the advancement of civilization right from the get-go. Remember, talked about, I, I don't remember it was last week or one of the weeks, um, that, that mankind came you know, right out of the get-go. Mankind had really in uh, intelligence and skill and all kinds of stuff. And, and that's, you know, I, it just drives me nuts when I see stuff and they're talking about cavemen and so on. Well, yeah, there were cavemen. Yeah, sure there were. They're cavemen today. But they were not, um, but man did not come out of an ape. Man came right from the beginning full of intelligence and skill. So we see husbandry and musicians and metal workers um, so what we see then is not the advancement of civilization, although we see that as well, but we see the devolution of morals and the character of mankind. So much so that by chapter 6, verse 5, says, The Lord saw how great men's wickedness had, on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil all the time. Sounds like a junior high classroom. Um, <laughs> sixth grade, yeah. My wife is subbed in sixth grade this week, and she probably, that's her testimony. <laughs> um, but what we see here is that uh, Cain passed down then this wickedness, and so we see Lamech, and Lamech is, is just a, uh, first of all, he's, he's a polygamist, and he's proud and self-sufficient, married to women. Um, he was a murderer like his great-great-grandfather Cain, and he proudly claimed to be master of his own destiny. He was trying to redeem himself from the curse on the lineage of Cain. And so, in, uh, um, and so we, as I said, we see the first introduction of polygamy in Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And so, right from the beginning, monogamy, or one wife, is, is, um, is advocated. God, you know, that was God's original intention. But then Lamech uh, begins polygamy. So Cain, then, is a prototype of a wicked person. I mean, that's what he is. And it, it's interesting to me, the firstborn son, first you know, child born, Adam and Eve were created by God himself, the firstborn person on the face of the earth was, was wicked. Not just, you know, not a good person, but a very wicked kind of person. Hard-hearted murderer. And, you know, you just think of what Adam and Eve, you, know, you can hear their discussions in their, in their tent, you know. Here, a, you know, why did we do that? Our first son is a hard-hearted murderer. And this murder was especially bad because it was committed by an older brother toward his younger brother. Younger, older brothers are supposed to protect the younger brothers. Isn't that right? Is it that way in your family? No, I, I, I mean, I, my older brother, Tom, he, you know, he, he'll sometimes, he'll just call me and he's just, you know, trying to, trying to help me, trying to, uh, you know, be the big brother to me. And I appreciate it, you know, I appreciate that he does that. And the older brother is supposed to be watching out for his younger, you know, younger brothers and sisters. And, he's, and Cain is the one who kills his younger brother. Furthermore, it was done with deliberate deceit. He says, let's go out to the field. And while they're out there, he kills them. So it was probably premeditated over a longer period of time. I mean, that's what you get, you know. It doesn't say specifically that in the text, but we can get that pretty much that it was premeditated. As Cain nursed his anger into bitterness. And furthermore, Abel was a good man and Cain was evil. Uh, 1 John 3.12 again, Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Well, furthermore, Cain blamed God and Abel instead of himself. We already mentioned that. And there was no remorse that we see anywhere on Cain's part. No hint of remorse on his part for killing his younger brother. 
So, Cain is a wicked person. Um, in Cain's anger, this one uh, commentator says this, Cain's anger stemmed from the fact that his own suffering was offering was rejected, but his hatred was directed to Abel as the nearest representative of obedience to God. When God tried to reason with him that this was a matter of favoritism, not a matter of favoritism, but of simple right and wrong, obedience and rebellion, all this was spurned. So rather than look at his own sin, rather than, than abandoning that theory of favoritism, that's apparently what he was thinking, he killed his brother instead. And God tried to get him to repent, tried to get him to see his sin and repent and, and have some remorse, but he didn't do it. So Cain's problem was that he had iniquity in his heart. He was a wicked person. All right, now, um, we have been in, in Sunday school class, we've been looking at a wicked person, wicked people. And there are wicked people on the earth. We talked about it uh, today, about wickedness and wickedness in the heart and so on. Proverbs 2, 12 through 15 says this, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, so their words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways. They shoot at the righteous out of, out of the shadows, it says, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wow. Um, that's a, a wicked person. And the Hebrew word, rasha, is a, means this, the negative behavior of evil thoughts, words, and deeds, a behavior not only contrary to God's character, but also hostile to the community. So this wicked person is, is contrary to God's character. He's hostile to the community, and which at the same time betrays the inner harmony and unrest of a man. Okay, so, so we see three things in it. Hostile to God, contrary to God's character, hostile to community, and because of that, because of all those things, there's inner disharmony and unrest. And that, boy, that pretty much describes a wicked person. Their lifestyle is contrary to the laws of God. Proverbs 4, 12, 19. But the way of the wicked is light, deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Wow. Proverbs 5.22, the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him, and the cords of his sin hold him fast. So uh, there, are, there is wickedness out there. And I went through and just listed, went through Proverbs, just, just Proverbs, um, and some of the things that are talked about of the wicked person. They're given over to violence, their name will rot, they speak what is perverse, their advice is deceitful, even their kind of acts are cruel, their mouths gush evil, they mock at justice and accept bribes to pervert justice. People moan and go into hiding when they rise to power. They have no concern for the poor, they detest the upright, and, and so on and so forth. Okay, so, um, you know, that is a wicked person. Now, how does that apply to us today? Well, the Bible clearly warns us that we will encounter wicked people in our lives. I mean, we're going to encounter wicked people. And, and wickedness dwells in the human heart. That's the whole problem, is that 
Sin is, is, is part of human nature. It, it defines human nature. Everyone is a sinner, but some are given over and give themselves over to that sin, and that's what happened to Cain. And we see today, as in Cain's day, the advancement of civilization along with the devolution of character and an increase in wickedness. And we look at our culture today and what's going on, and, and I believe that whenever our culture or, or a person departs from a relationship with Christ, they are moving toward uh, wickedness. And, and there's, you know, certainly there's a slope there, and some are more wicked than others, but all are moving toward wickedness. We may not see it in every instance. Um, as we talked about today, sometimes our culture works against that, and we're trained out of being totally wicked, but given the right circumstances, with that wickedness will come out. Second Timothy. Uh, beginning verse 1, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, I don't, I'm not a prophet, and I don't, you know, and I haven't done enough work in eschatology, what's called eschatology, to say, thus saith the Lord, this is what's going to happen, and this is going to happen. I don't know whether in the, we're in the last days or not, uh, but as I've said before, if we're not in the last days, it sure looks like it. <laughs> there's, there's sure a lot of signs that point in that direction. People will be lovers of themselves. And, and part of the reason that I believe that is these verses here. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And so what we see then when we, you know, a culture and a people begin to move away from the Lord, character is the, you know, that's, that's what happens, is wrong kinds of character. And that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing today an increase in violence. You know, I, it was, uh, what, a year ago or so, a little over a year ago, all the riots, uh, the crime rates are up, defund the police, um, this, this came, kind of came home to me, it was a number of years ago, about probably 10 years ago, and Amy asked me if I would take her to the airport, I forget where she was going, but, but uh, so I said, well, okay, I'll just take your car, and so took her car and took her to the airport. On the way back, I'm at um, Valencia and Kolb, and sitting there at the light, and bam, somebody hits, hits the guy behind me, and and uh, he hit me, and I hit the guy in front of me, and, and what it was, it was a guy with road rage. And he was angry, and he had been racing down Valencia with this other guy, and, and uh, the other guy wasn't, I mean, he, the other guy was just trying to get away from him, but he was, he was angry at him. Now, I don't know what the guy did, but, uh, but he did something. And, uh, and, then so, and so he wasn't looking. And he just ran right into the cars parked there, waiting for the light. But it just reminds me of, of the violence that we see in our, in our age. Um, and, and it's increasing all the time. That's the problem. And, you know, I've been overseas. I've seen a lot of places. And when you depart, when a culture, a people depart from God, they move toward iniquity and violence and all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, we see it with abortion. We, we see it with the rise of ISIS in Iraq and Syria, the rise of the Taliban in Afghanistan, um, down in Mexico, the drug cartels. And um, There's a story there. Uh, some friends of, uh, actually my older brother I talked about, oldest brother Tom, and, um, and they have a ranch down near Amado, and he said that one day um, this, this guy was on, on his ranch, and a, black, a couple of black um, Escalades drove up, and these uh, drug people got out of their car, walked up and, and you know, knocked on the door and said, um, we're taking over your ranch. You know, we're going to, this is our ranch now. And they said, you're not going to take our ranch. And, um, and so they, they had a young girl in one of the Escalades, and they took her out and raped her in front of them. And they said, this is what's going to happen to you guys if you don't give us your ranch. And, and wow. Now, unfortunately, I don't know what happened, how that whole story ended, but it just reminds me of the violence that we see with the drug cartels with, you know. Yeah, they left. Yeah, okay, the family, okay, all right. I've forgotten exactly what happened. The family did leave. But imagine that, you know. You own the property, and somebody comes up and says, you're out of here. Um, and unfortunately, that's what's happening in Mexico a lot. Drug cartels are running, running the country in many ways. But, so the point is not Mexico and so on. It's that morals and character devolve. As soon as we depart from a relationship with Christ, things start going downhill. And we in America are facing a wind blowing in our faces as believers. And it's getting worse. And that wind of opposition and ungodliness is increasing in intensity and ferocity. That's just the reality of where we are. Now, I don't like that any more than you do, but that's what's happening. So, what's our response to the wicked person then? Well, the first thing is that we recognize evil and don't be surprised at the increasing evil that we encounter. Don't be surprised at it. We need to get used to dealing with wicked people and wickedness in our culture. We've been kind of good people, you know, but, but it's going to get worse. And we as believers are going to be persecuted. I've been in, you know, places where there's, uh, particularly in Turkey, where there's a lot of persecution of the church, and we're headed there. As ungodliness increases, so will encounters with wicked people. We had better get used to being insulted, persecuted, and falsely spoken of in an evil fashion. The first person born on the earth treated his own brother that way. And there are wicked, hateful, spiteful, rebellious people in this world, and it's getting worse. Matthew 24. Um, and this is in the section where Jesus is talking about the end times. And he says this, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith, and this is the one that gets me, and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Um, 
And then Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah. Okay, and then um, I put this up because these are the three guys, and I think I've talked about this a little bit in the past, uh, but in um, April, I think it was April 17th, um, 2007, um, there were three guys um, in Turkey. The, left, the guy on the left is Ur. He was a convert from, to Christianity from Islam. And then... Um, and then uh, huh? Yeah, he was a German missionary. And, and then um, Nejati on the right. And I knew Nejati. I didn't know the other two. Um, although I got to know, uh, um, I, got, I got to know, huh? Yeah, the wife of uh, the guy in the middle. But um, they had their throats slit uh, because they are Christians. And what they did is, uh, is <clears throat> there were five guys that came into the service on, it was on an Easter. Nejati was the pastor of the church. Um, and, and then it's Tilman, I couldn't remember his name. Uh, and Ur and Nejati uh, invited these guys. These guys expressed an interest in Christianity. And so they said, well, come. We've got a Bible study on Wednesday morning. Come to the Bible study, and we will, um, you know, and you can learn more about the Bible. And so they did, and these five guys showed up. And, and so they grabbed these three guys. There were only three guys at that point in, the, um, in this Bible study. They grabbed them and slit their throats. And um, another guy who uh, we got to know real well, uh, actually I knew him at that time, um, was <coughs> showed up late to the Bible study and knocked on the door of this, it was called Zirve Publishing House. And they knocked on the door and he said there was something going on. He knew that something wasn't right. He called one of the cell phones of one of the guys, I don't remember who, which one it was, and, um, and he could tell something was wrong. And by that time, they had actually slit their throats. And, uh, and so all three of them ended up dying. And the guy who, who discovered this whole thing, I mean, he really had a hard time. He was one of our... Um, one of the people that did was one of our writers, and he really went through some hard times. Um, but, but I've seen persecution face to face, and I've seen Christians be persecuted for the faith. And that hatred, which is a consequence of turning from God, will increasingly be leveled at us as believers. Because when, you know, and we can already see that, that it is gradually, you know, when, when that hatred arises because of their lack of character, it's going to be leveled at us. Because we're the only ones who are saying, you can't go that, you can't do that, that's not the way you do things. Everybody else says, that's just fine. But we say, no, that's not God's way. And as I said, I don't like this teaching, it rubs me the wrong way. I was brought up to believe that if I was good to people, they would be good to me. Didn't you grow up that way? You know, be nice to people, they'll, they'll be nice, nice to you. Not always, but you know, generally they're going to be nice to you. But in an increasingly evil culture, 
returning good for good will no longer be assured. Certainly if we're good to good people, they'll return good most of the time. But doing good to evil people will incur their wrath, not their goodness. That's the problem. David Jackman, commentator, says, that conflict still rages in every human life. It is to be God's will. Is it to be God's will or mine? Am I going to obey him or run my life as I want to? The Gnostics were wrong. I love the way he says this. The Gnostics were wrong when they identified mankind's greatest problem as ignorance. It is not. It is rebellion. Okay? And our culture was kind of built on the theory that, that the answer to wickedness is education. Get people educated. That's the whole foundation of our educational. Get people educated and they won't be wicked anymore. Well, guess what? Didn't work. All right, because the problem is not ignorance, it's rebellion. And that explains why Christians should not be surprised when their love is met with hatred. Second thing that we need to do is this, is to take advantage of the soul searching which is going on in many people as a result of the chaos in our culture. All right. Um, and 1 Peter 3.15, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Um, when we were in um, Oklahoma, uh, well, we went to Oklahoma City when we were up in Tulsa, and we went down to meet with uh, a couple, and I mentioned this before, a couple whom we had helped immigrate there, Iranians, they had, uh, we had helped them immigrate to the U.S., and so we wanted to go see them. And I asked Farshid the answer that I've asked numerous Iranians, why is Iran the fastest growing mission field in the world today? And he said the same thing that everybody else has, has said, and that is that they have seen the true face of Islam. And I think what is going to happen with this as our culture devolves is that there is a greater separation between righteousness and unrighteousness, between love and hatred between Christians and those who are not Christians. And so we need to take advantage of that. Because people are going to be, and I believe they already are, there's a lot of soul searching going out there, as people see, it's no longer can you just be a good guy. You're going to be, you know, because that, that difference is getting greater all the time. Third thing is that it's needed, is genuine inner transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2, well, actually 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Matthew 24, 12, that we didn't read earlier. Because of the increase of wickedness, okay? Jesus is talking about the last days, Love of most will grow cold. When I read that verse, it just it it it's like a wake up call to me. Am I? I do not want to be among Christians whose love grows cold because of the increase of wickedness, and it's so easy as Christians to encounter wickedness with wickedness, and. And in our struggle to try to be good people in the midst of wickedness, to um, 
to have our hearts be hardened like Cain's was. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to have our love not grow cold, but he who stands firm in the end will be saved. So, um, so there's going to be increased separation between good and evil, right and wrong, between Christians and secularists, and the secularists will find that they have no more moral authority. And we need to get used to that and take advantage of that. And part of that is a genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity is always alive. Cultural Christianity is going to just die out. And it takes inner transformation to counter wickedness. Fourth thing is conquer the sin within. Um, Genesis 4, 7 says, If you do what is right, God tells Cain, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And so we are, you know, sin is pictured as a demon crouching at the door of a building to threaten the people inside. And we need to, as believers, we need to conquer that sin within us. And you don't do that way down the road somewhere. You conquer it each and every day with each and every wrong thought. And you take captive, as it says in Scripture, you take captive those thoughts that are leading you in that direction. Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And we learn as Christians that as that inner transformation takes place, that we put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Okay? And the last thing is that we realize that there is hope even for the wicked person. Romans 4, 5, and I love this. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked... The incredible thing is that God comes along and justifies these wicked people. You say, well, they're beyond hope. No, not to God they're not. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us us included, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's what we were like. And God did something incredible. Verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. No one is beyond the reach of the love and the grace of God. That's the good news. So we're going to face, we're going to face some, some, some rough battles ahead, I believe. <clears throat> but remember, Jesus and the grace of God is stronger than the, than the greatest wickedness. Now, it's not easy, but God's grace can do it. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you will help us as we encounter increasingly a wicked and 
secular and ungodly culture. Help us to love those people. Um, Lord, we pray that our love will not grow cold. That you will work in us and build us in the inner man so that when those tough times come and that persecution comes, we will be able to stand. And we will be able to genuinely love those people. Even though sometimes it's aimed at us. Give us, help us and and transform us so that we can do that, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. of the beginning of time to the songs of our longing to have that role called up yonder. And we want to thank you, Lord, that you made plain and you made clear, Lord, today that Cain did not, said, am I to care about my brother? And that actually is the call that you make to the righteous. And so, Lord, as times do become estranged, people become estranged, let us do the things that you call us to. 
and the call on us is to love thy brother. Lord, give us that kind of love for the righteous and the unrighteous, and let us see many, many be ushered into the kingdom of God in this time. And let us be part of that, Father. We praise and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.